Blog Talk Radio. It's his world. You just live in it. This is the Warren Markowitz Show. Those who would trade our freedom for the soup kitchen of the welfare state have told us they have a utopian solution of peace without victory. They call their policy accommodation. And they say if we'll only avoid any direct confrontation with the enemy, he'll forget his evil ways and learn to love us. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Politics, 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 That's right, it's politics, politics, politics. Welcome and good morning. I'm your host, Warren Markowitz, and this is Politically Incorrect on the Warren Markowitz Show, live on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, welcome, and this is Friday, January the 12th, 2018, episode number two. We're getting the year kicked off. Seems like the U.S. government, our president, and everybody else around us seems to be able to provide us with a whole lot of stuff to talk about. And uh, before we get into that and wrap up our week, I just want to remind everybody to join us on Facebook com slash Radio Markowitz. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Markowitz, at Spreaker, Blog Talk, Podomatic, iTunes, and pretty much everywhere else you can find us on the web. We are getting the voice out. We are getting the information out, and we are sharing our opinions with everybody who will listen, even if you don't want to. I'm your host, Warren Markowitz, and thank you for joining us. I'll be right back right at this break for just a moment. Thank you. Hi, I'm Warren Markowitz, host of the Warren Markowitz Show on Blog Talk Radio. Join me Tuesdays and Fridays at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time to talk politics, economics, and anything else that just might tickle your fancy. See you there. Tired of paying outrageous prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news for you. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts. Healthy Man allows you to save up to $500 on Viagra. Why pay U.S. pharmacy prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get Viagra for less than $3 a pill? Call today and get 40 Viagra pills for only $99. This can cost as much as $600 at your local pharmacy. You can't afford not to call us. If you want Viagra at the lowest prices, never pay $15 a pill for pharmacy prices again. Get Viagra for less than $3 a pill. Call 1-800-516-0514 today and save up to $500 and get 40 pills for just $99. Healthy Man is fast, easy, and affordable. Operators are waiting at 1-800-516-0514 to take your call now. Call 1-800-516-0514. That's 1-800-516-0514. Again, 1-800-516-0514. The Warren Markowitz Show. In his world, you just live in it. And welcome back to my world. All right. Um, for those of you who have been living with your head in the sand, um, President Trump shot his mouth off yesterday and pretty much launched an international tizzy by making a comment in a like that. I, I, I have this overwhelming desire to say board meeting. But cabinet meeting, uh, discussing um, issues of immigration with uh, both Republican and Democratic leaders. And he asked a question, and now it's, of course, coming into – it's now the language used is coming into question. But he asked, why are we always looking for these immigrants from these shithole countries? 
And he was referring to countries in the Af- in North Africa and Africa in general. He was talking about uh, countries from Central America and the collapsing nations in South America. And you have to sit back and you have to wonder, did he do it for shock value? Did he do it because his true colors are showing? Did he do it because you simply sit there and ask that question yourself? You see, I wonder about a couple of things. We're supposed to be the shining light on a hill. We're supposed to be the example. But are we supposed to be so altruistic and so intent on helping others that we allow ourselves to crater and collapse? Is it our responsibility to help or to advance the rest of the world? Are we not supposed to be responsible to ourselves? Isn't it charity starts at home, which means we need to have a strong home, a strong environment, a strong uh, economy, and a a strong, stable platform on which to build? Because last time I checked, the bottom never lifted the top. Because if we look through history, we just look through history. And we can recall how many different empires collapsed because the bottom overwhelmed the top. Because the have-nots demanded so much of the haves, the haves ran out of money and resources and things to give them. You know, we, we sit here and we wonder, or we don't necessarily wonder, but we, we, we think about what goes on in the world, and we listen to our history books, and we look at what happens. I, I'll give you a prime example. The last major empire to collapse was the Russian Empire. Okay? The Russian czars. Now, I'm ignoring the Chinese because the Chinese collapsed in the you know several years before, and between the nationalists and the communists and so forth, and the developments going forward, the Chinese are a different breed altogether. Because you know, what, let me just address that right now. In my opinion, this is this is my opinion and my opinion only, and you may agree with me. Chinese have had a coherent culture and government for five plus thousand years. Since the first emperor united the five kingdoms in China, and the, the China that we know today, per se, in terms of its geographical boundaries and so forth, became into an existence, China has existed as is. Now, it's been reigned, you know, it's been governed by emperors, and it's been governed by the Chinese Communist Party since, in effect, 1949, I believe. But ask yourself this major question. What has really changed for the Chinese people? Economically, it's changed. Maybe socially, it's changed. Maybe there's more opportunities for them to move about within their within their own cultural structure. But overall, the government of China really hasn't changed. It's gone from an emperor who dictated rules and regulations with a small group of people to help him execute those rules and regulations to a little bit larger group of people that are following the dictates and governments and perspectives of a smaller group of people. So, in in effect, China is really not that complicated to deal with because China has really not changed that much. In terms of a stable stretch of period of time, the name changed, but the players are all the same. So, we go back to the Russian Revolution. 
we go back to the you know, the the communist revolution, the uprisings that led to the collapse of the Tsar and his empire, and you'll you look at the fact that the bottom overwhelmed the top. There was just nothing left. It was either highly, you know, the wealth and the, and the power was concentrated so far to the top that there was nothing to, nothing, the bottom had literally nothing. And if you look at the countries that are failing and talking about those that are, literally have the garbage in the streets, they literally have the um, people looking for food, they, they, they their homelessness, their houselessness, their um, their environments, they're unable to fix themselves. Those countries, those nations, are all being overwhelmed by the bottom. Because the top is literally paying off the bottom to stay quiet. We look at Venezuela as an example, and I realize, you know, saying, well, we're talking about shithole countries. He insulted Africa. Well, hang on a second. We'll get there. You look at countries like Venezuela. Absolutely. Well, it, whether you want to accept the fact or not, okay, Venezuela is an extremely resource-wealthy country. Um, according to Google, and I'm doing it right now, according to Google, the, oil, the price of oil... Let's see now here. Oilprice.net, oilprice.com, NASDAQ, oil price latest charts. So that's the WTI. That's 64.21. And the day features price quote for oil on the WTI on the NYMEX. So futures for oil, $64 a barrel. Now, it's not the 105 it's not the $100, it's not the $90, it's not the 115 that we saw in the past, but here's the thing. Venezuela has got one of the largest untapped, unabused oil reserves in the world, bigger than Saudi Arabia. And yet recently, and I mean really recently, their socialist revolution has collapsed in on itself because guess what? Socialism is a wonderful thing until you run out of other people's money. And we've talked about this. We've discussed this. But the whole point of the circumstance and the situation is real simple. They are crushing their own people by paying them off. You know, we've all known somebody who's lost a job. You know, America has this little net called unemployment insurance. That, of course, is if you work for a company that you don't own, if you work for a an organization that pays into the pool, which I, I would assume 90% of the people in this world, in, in this country do. If you're laid off, if you're fired from your job, if the company closes, there's an insurance policy that pays out for 26 weeks or whatever it may be. Not the 100 weeks that the Obama administration stretched it to and then burdened us with paying that back into the system. But 26 weeks. When do you notice people start to get off their ass and look for a job? Somewhere around week 15 or week 20 when they realize the gravy train's about to come to a stop. So when we look at whether or not we want to bring people into this country, should we not look at countries that 
advance the ideas that we currently hold and support? Or should we bring into this country people that are basically going to be dependent upon us? Because those who are dependent upon us only want more th- one thing, and that's more. They just want more. They don't care what it is or how it got, so it got there or how they have to pay for it, because they don't. They want more. We saw that during Obama's administration. I'm not picking on the man. I'm using him as a reference in terms of time. Obama's administration was very simple. It really was. How much can I move from the top to the bottom? And how do I get the bottom to support me to move more? You heard about it. Obama money, Obama phones. The idea of health insurance or health care for all. Realizing it wasn't health care, it was health insurance. So he bought off the corporations by promising to pay them off, quite literally. And he forced those of us in the middle and the top to pay for the ones at the bottom. And he moved more money out of the economy. Thousands of dollars a month per family out. And don't tell me, that, well, if you made a certain amount of money, you had a, you got a, an offset by the government. The government's got to take that money from someplace else. The government doesn't create things. It prints money, but it doesn't create value. It doesn't create anything other than the fact that it moves stuff from point A to point B. We don't have industry. The government doesn't run industry. Now, I prefer the government to stay out of industry because most of the people who are in government can't run a business. Most of the people who are in government go into government because they can't have the, they don't have the skills to go into business. That's why we don't have business people. That's why we don't have uh, you don't see a lot of doctors involved. You do have doctors that are that have run for office. You do have business people that have run for office. We have a businessman in a White House now, and I think that's why he's pissing everybody off. Donald Trump is pissing people off for the simple fact that he simply wants to improve America. And it's not a white-black thing. It's not a black, a white-Hispanic thing. It's not a North American, South American thing. It's not an anti-African thing. It's an improve thing. How do we improve our circumstance? Because if America is strong, and just because we are made up of different parts and pieces and places and people, doesn't make us strong. It makes us a pot of people that right now we went from moving, from being a melting pot to being a jambalaya. When America is strong, we have the ability to influence other parts of the world. When America is weak, other parts of the world, and as you're seeing, the not-so-great parts of the world tend to pop their heads up and cause mischief. For eight years, while Obama was in office, Iran ran rampant. They got paid off hundreds of millions of dollars in the dead of night. Now, it's a great cover to say that it was money that was due them, but why do you ship it by plane? Why do you ship it in cash? You and I can't walk into a bank and say, hey, can you take this? We couldn't even get that much cash if we had it in a bank and wanted it. We want to know where it's going. What are we doing with it? Why do we need it? You know, today's perspective is if you deal in cash, you're a bit of a criminal. You're kind of dirty. You're trying to hide something. You had a plane full of pallets full of cash, not only just American dollars, but 
Swiss francs and euros and so forth being shipped to a country that got some questionable ties in the world, nobody wants to bat an eye. Because heaven forbid you question the guy in the White House because if he's black and you question him right away, you're a racist. How about the simple fact that you want to know why it's good for him and not good for the... Why is it good for the goose and not good for the gander? No, why is he allowed to get away with it? Because he's the president? No. He's trying, the, the government was trying to hide something. Plain and simple, they were hiding it, and we're hoping we'd, they, we're hoping, they were hoping we'd buy the story. But here we come back to where we go with, with the idea of whether or not we want to allow people from those countries to come in. And I think what a president is trying to accomplish and he's trying to advance is this. We used to have an issue of quotas. Now, that may sound dirty. Well, quotas, we can't mean it maintains the status quo. Well, to some extent it does. And to some extent it doesn't. But he's trying, what, what we've been talking about, what we've been asking about, is an issue of merit-based immigration. Merit-based immigration is fairly simple. If you have something to offer us, you can come in. If you don't have something to offer us, you can't come in. You, in effect, have to buy your way in. But you buy your way in with your skills. You buy your way in with your wealth. You buy your way in with your resources. You buy. You make yourself valuable to where you're going. Because the last thing America needs is to increase the number of people that are dependent upon government. Because that increases the strain on you and I when we pay our taxes. It's not that we are disliking people. It's not that we are prejudiced of people. It's a simple fact that when you're talking about having to take care of somebody else, every dollar you spend on that somebody else is a dollar you have to either get from a third party, got to borrow it, or you don't have to spend on what you need. And if we are intended on shrinking government, if we are intend to make things less expensive in the United States but stronger at the same time, we cannot be altruistic. We cannot put others in front of ourselves and expect success to occur. Because most of these people that are dependent on government will be dependent on government till the day they die. Now, will their children be that way? Probably not. My understanding about the odds are is that most people who are, who are raised in the bottom uh, economic tier are not there in the next generation. You ask yourself, why? It's fairly simple. You don't want to live like a schlub. You don't want to live in squalor and piss. You don't want to be in a bad place. You want to move yourself out. But you have to do something about it. You have to have the education. You have to have the opportunity. And I mean the opportunity by creating the opportunity. Whether it be going to college and getting a good job, whether it be going to college and starting a co company, whether it be starting an industry, developing a product, doing something, but you're contributing to society and you're being rewarded for it. So why bring more people at the bottom when we're trying to give the people that are here the opportunities they need? You can't continue to create opportunities for people if 
the circumstances are such that you don't have a place to put everyone. It became it becomes complicated. You have to draw the line. And I think that's what the president's trying to get at. There has to be a line in the sand, and we have to stick with it. You know, this open borders policy, this open immigration policy doesn't work for America. It's failing miserably. It's costing us opportunity. It's costing us dollars. It's costing us in a growing and flourishing society. And when people are desperate, they turn to crime. So why bring in circumstances where people will be desperate? Let's take a break here. Sit tight. I'll be right back right after this. The Warren Markowitz Show. It's his world. You just live in it. This program is brought to you by the Law Office of Warren R. Markowitz Esquire. Attorney Markowitz, that's me, is licensed in New York, the U.S. District Court and Bankruptcy Courts in Colorado, and the Ninth and Tenth Circuit Courts of Appeal. For more information or to see if I can help you with your case, please contact me at info at markowitzlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z-L-A-W-F-I-R-M.com. Warren Markowitz Esquire, a modern lawyer for modern times. Cryptocurrency and traditional forms of payment accepted. The Warren Markowitz Show. If you're thinking about it, we're probably talking about it. Now we're talking about DACA. DACA, DACA, whatever you want to call it. I had an interesting conversation yesterday with my daughter. I have a 17-year-old who's getting ready to go off to college. And she pointed out that you just can't pick up and toss people out that have been raised here and believe that, you know, they were raised as Americans, they grew up as Americans, they were brought here by their parents. You can't blame them. And she's right and she's wrong. And let me explain, because I know a lot of people are going to be pissed off about this thing. And we've brought this issue up numerous times, okay? And I'm going to tell you right now, as much as I would like to see a hard line in the sand about immigration, as much as I'd like them to say, you know what, if you're here illegal, you're subject to deportation, and you're done. Back to your country of origin. The only reason I would like to see that is because I want the illegal immigration. I want the people who are jumping to Rio Grande or swimming across um, the river that are coming in and overstaying their stuff. I wanted to stop, and I only wanted to stop not because of the fact that they're coming from places that we probably wouldn't let them come in and and stay anyway, but because it shows a disrespect for our culture, for our law, for our society, because they're sneaking in. I love to have guests in my home. I love to have people visit. My wife loves to entertain. My kids like to be able to entertain with their friends. But friends come through the garage. Guests come through the front door, none of which include the windows or the back door. And illegal immigration to me is when people come in through the back door or the windows. In, a, in effect, they come in with the intent of saying, well, I'm here, you can't ask me to leave. But in reality, it's more like a burglar. They come in because they weren't invited. They come in because they demanded they they need to be there. So here's the thing. How do we resolve a problem that we've created? And And whether you like it or not, whether you're willing to accept it or not, the politics of this country over the last 40 years has created this problem. The last 
amnesty that was supposed to have been given was supposed to be the one from Reagan in 86, I believe it was. And we were supposed to, I think it was like two and a half million people were granted amnesty. Uh, and there was supposed to be an increase in border security. There was supposed to be a reduction to elimination of illegal immigration and so on and so on and so on. Well, guess what? None of it was ever delivered. The two and a half million people got to stay. And all the fun shit that was supposed to come along later on that we were promised never materialized. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? By saying everybody is subject to being tossed out in their tuchus simply means that we're not willing to play this game anymore. That we're not willing to allow this to happen anymore. And you want to know something? We shouldn't let this happen again. When DACA was implemented, the numbers skyrocketed. The number of people trying to scoot across the border and get here illegally skyrocketed because they, they rightfully assumed that once they got here, they'll be able to stay. That's not, that, that's not true. I mean, just the other day, California, well, let's start just the other day. Yeah, it was pretty much just the other day. January 1st is when new rules kicked in, and California became the first sanctuary state which basically said, we're not going to cooperate with the federal authorities. Here's the burden. Here is the burr in everyone's saddle. To some extent, California never had any obligation to cooperate with federal authorities anyway. But there's a technicality in that. The federal government cannot press into service or force a state to comply or I should say, to do the job in which the federal government is tasked. Since immigration is the big one we're talking about here, we're talking about the fact that the federal government cannot, whether it be New York, Florida, Miami, Texas, it doesn't make a difference where, what state or what city, cannot force an agency of a state government to conduct, to advance a federal goal. Now, we could buy it, it could bribe it, it could manipulate the circumstances in which money is attached to it. It could be the carrot and stick. You know, we're paying you for the ability to put body armor on your cops, or we're helping you with building prisons, or we're expanding this, that, or next thing. They can attach it to a spending bill in that particular state, or federal money that's going to be spent in that state, but they can't bribe, they can't, they can't force a state to do something. So in effect, California is basically saying, go screw yourself. The feds, on the other hand, can literally cut off money by not advancing that funds by simply putting a immigration-related rider or requirement on the money that goes out. It goes back to the idea of the Drive 55 campaign. If you remember that, if you're old enough to remember that, the concept of you know lower the speed limits, driving 55 saves lives. Um, We'll give you the highway funds if you lower the speed limit to 55, raise your drinking age to 21. Uh, go check out one state that decided no, where the drinking age didn't move. They didn't want the money, or they didn't want the influence of the government. But California has to recognize the fact that if you're not willing to assist, or if you're not willing to, if you're willing to openly, if you're willing to openly interfere with the actions, you're going to get the stick. And in this case, the stick was the fact that 
the Fed sent an overwhelming number of DHS and ICE officers and so forth to go round up or to raid particular areas in which illegals are known to be employed or to live. Well, you can't stop them for doing their job because their job is exactly what they're doing, which happens to be immigration control. But it doesn't look good, doesn't sound good, doesn't feel good. And by the way, the argument of whether or not you're willing to break up families or you're willing to send a grandmother to someplace or take kids away from their parents because the, the parents did something improper, it happens all the time. There were 19 guys in prison. Now, there's still a bunch of them still dealing with the repercussions here in Nevada over an event that occurred in 2014 that spent almost two years in prison, and some of them are now serving longer than that, before the judge decided that it was okay for them to be let out pending a trial, which ended in a mistrial. But they separated them from their families. No questions, no, no questions asked. They separated them from their children. No questions asked. They broke the law. See, this is where the social justice issues start to really burn my ass. We're being asked, we're being demanded of, we're actually being told that we need to treat these people differently. And then my answer to that is no, we don't. Because that's unfair. See, the law is supposed to be fair. And immigration is supposed to be an issue in which fairness applies. Because we're dealing with such a diverse group of people. And I mean diverse from different parts of the world, different cultures, different societies, different colors, different languages. It needs to be fair. And fair means equality. Everybody's treated the same whether you like it or not, whether it's good or bad, everybody's treated the same. So why treat these kids differently? And I claim kids because we have to remember something. American jurisprudence, American concepts of law, the fairness in the American judicial system effectively says that a kid under seven is not responsible for anything. A kid from seven to 14 has a sliding scale responsibility for own tort actions and potentially criminal actions. And above that, you're only pretty much fair game. If you screw up, you'll be treated like an adult. We also have this little concept that says we don't hold third parties accountable for the criminal actions of someone else. Which basically means that if a kid is taken from point A to point B by their parents, what do they know? How many times have the parents, your parents told you, let's get in the car, let's go for a ride? We're going, where are we going? We're going to see grandma. We're going to see, we're going to see your uncle. We're going, we're, we're going to the movies. We're going shopping. All of those fun little things that occur, all those little matters that happen. How do you know that what mommy's doing is illegal? How do you know that mommy? How old are you? But I'm not trying to make it right by making an excuse for it. I'm pointing out the complicated nature of the matter. My opinion, I'm telling you this right now, this is my opinion. What's going to happen is this. The DACA kids are not going to be deported. Scream all you want, it's not going to happen. What's going to happen is that another class of immigration status is going to be created, and whether you like it or not, that is perfectly legal. You have permanent residents here in the United States. Okay, those are your green card holders. Those are the ones that 
in effect, have the rights to exercise just about all of the civil rights under the Bill of Rights, except for the right to vote. And I believe they're not able to operate in government. They can't get a job in government because they're not a citizen. But they can come and go as they please. They can, you know, they, they can get a U.S. passport. They can travel. There's no issues there. Buy a home, buy a car, et cetera, et cetera. Then, of course, you have student visas. You know, think about this. Think about all the different things you got. You got student visas, which allow you to come to school. You've got work visas, which allow you to come to work. What we need to do is create some sort of mix for the DACA kids. But the problem we're facing is this. 800,000 people could wind up bringing in 8 million, 12 million, 10 million, 20 million people in chain migration. Why we have to avoid giving the winning ticket, the golden ticket, to people who have not earned them. Now, if you're one of these people, these 800,000 DACA, What's wrong with creating a situation in which, okay, three years, four-year residency certificate, you can apply every year, not by not by governmental fiat, not by the a stroke of a pen from the president, because if we remember, you know, society, we remember government that we learned, the government, the control over immigration, the laws of the land, I should say, in particular, as they deal with immigration, belongs to Congress. So if Congress says, okay. You can stay. You have to apply every four years or every three years. You have the right to come and go. You're not going to be deported. You're not going to. You can't get in trouble. Yeah, it can work. You can go to school. You can do whatever you want. I don't see. I have a problem with that. But what I have a problem with is moving these people to the front of the line when it comes to immigration in general giving them preferential treatment, or or moving them rapidly on a path to citizenship. Do they even want it? Do they even know the difference at this point in time? And what about the million or so people or two million people, whatever it may be, that we admit every year? Are we not supposed to maybe deduct that number? and say, okay, this year we let in 800,000, that means we only get to let in 200,000 more, and that's the end of it? Are we not allowed to balance the whole mess? Because problems we have is that our solution is just to simply give in. And when we simply give in, what we wind up doing is we wind up losing any advantage we have overall. Now, the biggest argument I had with my daughter about this was that these people haven't been able, you know, you can't hold them responsible for their parents, and you can't. But I can hold them responsible for their own actions, which means you're gang-affiliated, you're done, out, goodbye, have a nice day. You've got a criminal record, and I don't mean misdemeanors, I don't mean, de- I'm talking about a felony record, have a nice day, you're gone. Deal with your own problems someplace else. But overall, what's wrong with requiring for those coming out of high school now or those coming out of college now to go into a field in which they can contribute back? You want to stay so bad? Show me. 
how much you want to help, be a part of something bigger than yourself. Not protesting a government you have no right to protest because guess what? An illegal immigrant doesn't have a right to protest and petition the government because if you're flying a Mexican flag and screaming that you can't deport me, don't you think that would be one of the first people that get deported? If you're flying an American flag and screaming that you deserve the rights because of circumstance or you should be given an opportunity because of circumstance, but you're supporting the very government and you're supporting the nation, forget, forget the government, you're supporting the nation in which you want to be a part of, that shows inclusivity. That includes that includes, shows be, belonging. Not flying the na- flag of a nation which you claim to be a part of, but you don't want to go back to. We're all proud of our heritage. We're all proud of who we are and what we're made up of. Even if there's some bumps and bruises in the in, in the history in the historical pile. Why shouldn't I look at somebody who says I'm a Mexican American? Well, do you want to be an American American? Or an American of Mexican heritage? That's one thing. But a Mexican-American? No, sorry. We don't have room for hyphenations. We're not hyphenated. If if you want to be a part of us, be a part of us. And people are going to scream, rant, and rave, going, well, you just want white. I really don't give a damn. I just don't want somebody to vandalize my car in my driveway, break my window throw a rock at my house or make my life difficult. That's not what I I want to live in a neighborhood in which I can be stupid enough to fall asleep with the front door unlocked instead of panicking of whether or not I've locked up my house and turned on the alarm. The only way we do that is to make sure that the people respect each other as much as themselves. It's a crazy chain of circumstance, but that's the way it is. How many times have you thought about it? I don't like this neighborhood. Why? People don't take care of the homes. People don't take care of the cars. People don't take care of the lawns. They don't care. There's a problem. If they cared, maybe we'd get something done. Sit tight. Be right back. You know, now I'm confused. Now i got problems with my blog talk channels and what's going on here. So, here we are. <sighs> okay. So, what we got now is how do we deal with a runaway or out-of-control government? A chain of circumstances in which the government simply wants to run rampant us and Trample our rights. No, I mean, that, that's really what it boils down to, right? The government taking advantage of the circumstances. Because here's the thing. Immigration from low economic areas has always benefited one particular party in general. That's the Democratic Party. They've always benefited from it because in the end, they buy their votes. The Democrats buy their votes. Johnson said it back in the 1960s after he took the, the, took over with the Civil Rights Movement. He says, I'll have them voting um, Democrat for the next 100 years, ignoring the fact that the Democrats are the ones that kept people in chains, that created groups that terrorized if you weren't white, that were behind the lynchings 
and the Jim Crow laws and this institutionalized segregation, the concept of the Democratic Party being the champion of the downtrodden and the champion of the the needy is almost hysterical. Because in the 19... Uh, before the Great Society was launched, I might be able to say, you know what? I'm a little more socially liberal. I'm fiscally conservative. Maybe I'm a Kennedy Democrat. Then the 1980s show up, and it was socially conservative and fiscally conservative, and and you're a Reagan Republican. But one thing after another, one end after another, one chain of events after another, and we find ourselves in a circumstance of what are we trying to accomplish? You see, one of the arguments, one of the major arguments that we have is truly what does our government, what is our government allowed to do? What role is our government supposed to play? Is it caregiver? Is it um, parent? Is it, uh, I'm trying to, even trying to think this string through. What role do we want? Do we want it to be out of our way, just simply stay out of our way, do your job, and leave me alone? Or is it, please take care of me because I'm incompetent, can't, can't take care of myself? I mean, there is a circumstance, there is an issue in which the government has an obligation to take care of those who are incapable, ill, the infirm. The uh, the members of society we allow that we take on as an obligation because they can't do it for themselves. Now, many of you might start ranting and raving that I'm starting to sound like a left wing lunatic, but let me explain something to you. This isn't the circumstance. This isn't the issue that we must deal with. This is a reality of the fact that of a and a society that's not altruistic. Because an altruistic society ends in default. It collapses. Socialism itself is altruism at, at its worst. Communism is a dictatorship based upon uh, a small group of people telling everybody else what they can and cannot do. Socialism is when somebody else constantly in front of ourselves. Uh, you know, for, for a kid who's not raised in any of the Christian faiths or any as as I've said before, I'm Jewish, I understand the concept of joy. And I've always wondered why that was in the churches that I visited when, with, with friends or with uh, uh, the weddings I did. So I asked the priest one day, what does joy mean? This is Jesus, others, yourself. It's the, it's the, the, the concept, the, the chain of command, so to speak, that, these, that the clergy take when dealing with matters. They look at the higher being. They look at the, uh, how it benefits others. And then they're the last one on the chain. They're the last one to take care of themselves. But if you notice, they take a vow, the, the, the many of them take a vow of poverty. Well, you have to take a vow of poverty. Because if you're giving everything away, there's going to be nothing for you. And one of the major, major, major issues we're dealing with here in America, especially under the, uh, the immigration issue, is how do we help those in this country that deserve our help first. And I mean it sincerely, because the way I look at it is this. If we help those in our country who deserve to be helped first, 
that would be, well, let's look at this way. That would be kids in the inner city that need jobs. That would be those jobs that are typically used for jumping off to another point where people get an opportunity to move on, to expand themselves, to develop themselves. Well, those people are now competing with others who will probably work for maybe even less under certain circumstances because they need something, period. But economics tells us, simple math tells us, that if you have a lower number, if you reduce the labor pool, you will increase the value of labor. For example, if I've got a 10,000 gallons of gasoline at my store and I sell 100 gallons of gasoline every day, I will run out of gas eventually. 1,000 gallons of gasoline every day, 10,000 gallons is 10 days, $100, uh, 100 gallons of gasoline at 10,000 uh, 10, gallons, it's 100 days. What happens all of a sudden, and I remember something, that's my resource. I've got that. I get, I get filled up again in 100 days. So what happens if I start selling 200 gallons of gasoline or 300 or 400 or 500 gallons of gasoline? I'm going to have a block of days where I won't be able to sell anything. So wouldn't that value of that gasoline go up per gallon? Because if you're taking it from me, you're denying it to me on the other side. I'm losing business. Now, you can argue I'm making the same money because I'm selling the same amount of gasoline, but now I'm sitting there for 30 days. Well, I'm sorry, not 30 days, but I'm sitting there for 10 days, 20 days without sales. So I'm losing money. What happens if I turn around and you pull up with a tanker truck and I got 10,000 gallons of gasoline and you've got to sell me another 2,000 gallons of gasoline and I've got room for it, but I just don't want to buy it. Wouldn't you make it worth my while to buy it? Wouldn't you do something that says, hey, I can lower the price if you'll take it off my hands? That's Basically, what we're dealing with now. That's what's going on. If Walmart has the pick of the litter from the people who work there, and they're able to pay them nine, ten, eleven dollars an hour because that's a circumstance. If you bring in more people that'll work for nine, ten, or eleven dollars an hour, they don't like what you're doing. Off you go. They'll replace you. You're easily replaced. You're a human resource. Now go to places like the oil fields in North Dakota. At North Dakota, you know, the frozen wasteland just south of Canada. Those people there were not paying nine, ten, eleven dollars an hour at Walmart. They were paying fourteen, fifteen, eighteen, twenty dollars an hour at Walmart because you could make better money working the oil fields in the oil industry, and Walmart needed people in their stores. Otherwise, they can't sell you the goods and other items. A simple economic issue. But what we're doing is we're undermining ourselves. We are making it more difficult for the people that we are pledging to help. Because, you know, the old line is immigration helps everybody. No, actually, it doesn't. Immigration doesn't help anybody. 
Organic growth tends to help more than immigration does. Immigration is an existential input that increases the number of people, that increases the draw on resources, that increases the impact on econo- the economic impact across the board because it's uncontrolled. Even if we decide to say a million people can come in a year or two million people can come in a year, what's the birth rate? There's 350 million people in America. What's the birth rate? When are we going to get to 400 million? If how many? And the other thing is this: those people that are coming in. One of the things we didn't we we did not address from the shithole comment that President uh, Trump used was how many kids do these people have? Because if you haven't noticed. The, the worse the environment you live in, the worse the society you live in, the more kids you wind up having. Now, I'm not sure if that's because you need them to work the fields, you need them to work just in general, or because most of them die off because you can't support them. You can't feed them. You can't take care of them, which in and of itself is a sick and disgusting concept, but a reality. You've seen the advertisements on television that say, "Well, help this kid. He can't. His parents can't afford to feed him. He plays in squalor. He plays in dirt. He plays in, 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 in you know, cholera-infested water." If we are going to import those problems into our country, how are we going to take care of them? And I don't necessarily mean the people. I'm talking about the problems. The reality is hard. The circumstance is hard. The American people are a very, we are a very giving, loving, caring group of people. But we are quickly losing sight that we must take care of ourselves first. That charity begins at home. That spending money in places and on people that do not make our lives better is a waste of resources, a limited resource. Because whether you want to accept it or not, whether you like the idea that your money is worth less tomorrow than it is today, then we need to stop the bleeding. We need to stop the undermining of our own society. Now, I, for one, have met, and I mean this sincerely, people from just about all over the world. I mean, I wouldn't say everywhere. I wouldn't say I've touched 194 countries as recognized by the UN, but I would say that I have met people from North Africa regions, the Central East, the Middle Eastern regions, from South Africa, from Central America, from South America. I've done business with people from South America and from Central America, from Canada from Russia, from China, et cetera, et cetera. I've met people from a good part of this world. And for the most part, everybody's cool. Everybody's cool. But the problem we're facing now is this. America is $21 trillion in debt. We don't have money to spend on people that don't benefit us. We don't have money to spend on people that we need to care for here, now, let alone people that are coming in later on 
to be added to the to the mix. So at what point do we recognize that the people that are coming to the states, the people who want to come here, at what point do we draw that line and say, hey, you have to benefit us now. If you want the opportunities we present, if you want the economic environments we provide, if you want the abilities to make your life better, how are you going to make my life better? What are you offering me? And we're afraid to ask those questions again. We're afraid to ask. We sound like we're takers. Well, eventually, you can't give anymore because you've got nothing to give. Uh, President Trump did something uh, last week that I thought was absolutely balls-to-the-walls amazing. He cut off 200-and-some-odd million dollars in aid to the U.N. refugee agency that deals with the Palestinians. The Palestinians is the only refugee group that has grown since their creation. Since the creation of, well, a group of people that live, work, grow, develop in an area in which their neighbors don't even want them. They attempted to take over Jordan, which kind of led to a purge at the PLO in the 70s. Uh, they've brought us hijackings, they've brought us 9-11, they've brought us, and yes, uh, whether you like it or not, the concept, the, the mindset, not the people, but the mindset brought us 9-11. Uh, they're not welcome in Saudi Arabia, they're not welcome in Jordan, they're not welcome in Egypt, they're not welcome pretty much anywhere in the world amongst their own people, ethnically, racially. And yet, they demand to be taken care of because they demand land, they demand space, they demand an environment in which they have no title to, right to, or obligation to be given. And to prove this matter, they were given several opportunities to create a state of their own, and they've turned down every last one of them. So at what point do we stop helping people who are no longer interested in helping themselves? You know, we hear these issues of, um, what's it, we hear the matter of the occupied territories. We hear the issue of Gaza. Get out of Gaza, get out of Gaza, get out of Gaza. Anybody pay attention? The Israelis haven't been in Gaza. And why am I talking about this with uh, immigration? Because this goes to prove a point. This goes to support a matter. The Palestinians are a dependent people. They created that dependency in 1948 and in 1949. And they've been a dependent people for the last 70 years, dependent upon others, unwilling to help themselves. They're willing to start wars, they're willing to fight, they're willing to bleed, they're willing to die, but they're not willing to create an economy. They've got a place in Gaza. Stop building tunnels in which you want to try and kill your neighbors. Stop building weapons. Start building an economy. Start building schools in which you don't teach hate. Start building hospitals which don't store weapons. Start building an environment in which your society can grow and flourish and your neighbors will be more friendly to you. But no, they choose they choose to kill and to fight and to scream and to battle. And that's all they choose to do. And then to claim that they're a victim. You see, 
when President Trump says, why are we taking people from these shithole countries? That's what he's pointing out. You've got to stop facilitating, supporting, advancing. You have to stop uh, allowing the continuation of such a circumstance. Because Ethiopia, Somalia, Eritrea, Mali, even Egypt and Libya and other parts of that region, they all have the opportunity. They all have the ability to create an environment in which their people can grow and flourish and advance. But many of them just don't give a damn. I've got it. Screw the other guy. I've got it. I'm not dealing with him. And they're in line with the problem, my friend. That's the issue that we're dealing with. We're dealing with the problem. We're being asked to help every part of this world that refuses to help itself. And I say, and you should say, it ends here. It really does. So with that, I'm going to wish you a happy and healthy weekend. I want you to enjoy, enjoy yourself. Get out. Have some fun. Enjoy the sun. And I'll catch you next week. Remember, Monday's Martin Luther King Day. Uh, whether you celebrate or you happen to be in Arizona, enjoy your time. And if you have a day off, enjoy that too. I'm Warren Markwitz, host of the Warren Markwitz Show, live on Blog Talk Radio. Catch me on Spreaker, Podomatic, potentially on Red State Radio again, and of course on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for your time. I appreciate everything. Be good. Bye-bye.